Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. And if you are following along um, with a version app or my notes, this is where you begin to track uh, with that there in the little bulletin we handed you. And we are in the second week of a series that we've called Milk Bubbles. And yes, that's a little bit of a vague title. Um, and so, but as we're looking at that, we're looking at the um, book of Philippians. And last week we looked at Philippians chapter 1. Today we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. And yeah, you guess you anticipated where we're going to be next week, Philippians chapter 3. And so it goes right up until right before Easter, and we'll kick off a new series at Easter. And so, but as you look at the book of Philippians, Paul writes this from prison. This is not a cool place. Remember last week he talked about his chains and every word that's written. We can hear chain rattles in the background. We can hear these chains moving around. This isn't a pleasant scenario, but every book, every, ch- every chapter in this book references the word joy or rejoice multiple times. So here's this place that's not a cool thing. Nobody wants to be in jail. Nobody wants to be chained to a wall. And as Paul is writing, he's not griping and complaining. He is full of joy. And so I think that that would probably be the the number one thing this is about. And so we've looked at this concept that, that joy and peace and hope increase in our lives as we trust in God. The increase in our lives as we trust in him. And our our launch passage is not even out of Philippians, but it's something else Paul wrote here to the the believers in Rome. In Romans 15, 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember last week we mentioned that the word, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which just means air. And we we get our words pneumatic tools, like these air-driven, air-powered tools. We get that from that word pneuma. And so here is this picture of this, the breath of God, the the wind of God coming in and and bringing this power. And I just thought about a, a regular, everyday, ordinary glass of milk. Just regular, everyday glass of milk. And it's kind of plain, it's kind of ordinary, like a lot of times we feel like most of our everydays are. But then you stick a straw in there and, and you pump a little bit of pneuma in there. You put a little breath in there. And all of a sudden these bit bubbles begin to come up. And I get it. Some of you are creeped out by milk. and so, um, But I know some of you don't like milk and whatnot. But I tell you what. You get a little kid and you give them with a glass of milk and you give them permission to blow some bubbles. And they're going to be a smile on their face. There's going to be some joy, and it's going to bubble up, and it's going to overflow, and there may be a little bit of mess. But I tell you, in the middle of the mess, there will be some joy. And so as we are looking at this, that here in this ugly, messy situation with Paul, that he's making this impartation of joy. He's teaching us what it means to lean into that and to overflow with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're letting the Spirit work and bring some life into something we feel like maybe is kind of ordinary or mundane, and that our lives ought to be full of joy and hope and peace. And so many times we can have the wrong look. We look at our world, we read the news, we, we see the stuff on TV, and we're like, man, the world's a mess. It's, 
You know, I, I'm not even trying to think I, I need joy out of life. I just want to survive life. I just want to make it through. And I know that as a believer that I'm going to have joy in the presence of God. And if I could just get through this, if I can get through this life without hurting somebody else, man, I tell you what, I can just drive around San Angelo without honking my horn and losing my peace, then I'll be able to make it through life. I can just walk in a little bit of this. And that's not what God has called us to at all. God has called us to have joy and life. And we have the wrong mentality, man. We'll miss the joy we should be having. Uh, the Clark family, we love to go to theme parks. And so we enjoy it, enjoy the rides, the, all of the fun stuff. And years ago, we went to Six Flags Fiesta, Texas, down the, down the road in San Antonio. And, and uh, back then, there was a ride. I don't even think it exists anymore. If it does, it's not under this name. But the Tony Hawk Big Spin. It was a new ride that looked like a simulated being on a skateboard with Tony Hawk and dropping into the to the pools and doing the different stuff and doing ramps and all sorts of cool things. And it would spin as it was going through its stuff. And so it was a spinning roller coaster. And Carson was about six or seven years old, and he was tall enough to ride it, and he wanted to ride Tony Hawk Big Spin. So we're like, sure, let's do it. So we get in line, do all that fun stuff, and he's sitting there psyching himself up. This is kind of his first big boy roller coaster. So we get in the seat, lap bar comes down, and we start the Some of you are already getting a little queasy right there. Already feeling it. Just like, mm, Pastor, don't make that noise. And so and you start doing the little and you get up to the top, and then you drop in. Well, as we were going up, the little tick 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 Carson reaches over, and he grabs my forearm and puts both of his hands on my forearm, so which is a good thing, you know, a little nervous thing. Grab a hold of daddy, that's not a bad idea. So he reaches over and grabs me, and then we drop down in. And on that first drop, and I'm not exaggerating but at all, Carson screamed from that point through the end of the ride. I'm telling you, it was the blood curdling, someone was chopping his limbs off scream. And he just, ah! and he is just just screaming. And it wasn't, it wasn't the, ah, how much fun it was. It was sheer terror. It was absolute terror. And his mama, who hates roller coasters, was a long ways off and she heard it. She heard the sound of someone dismembering her child. And she began to, to come and to, to find him. I mean, he just screamed. And as he was screaming, he dug his fingernails into my forearm. And we should have clipped the boy's nails, but I'm telling you, I'm not kidding. I got off that ride, and I was, I was bleeding. And Keenan was there, there was, there was blood going down my arm because he had dug his fingernails into it. So as he's screaming horribly, horribly on this ride, goes through, well, then everybody in line is just quiet. <laughs> and they're just wide. I think little small children started to whimper. <laughs> what are you doing to me? And, and, and so, and all, everybody working the loading deck is just sitting there, and they have, they've stopped chatting, they've stopped, and they are watching because they think something terrible happened on this ride. So all the employees are sitting there, and they're just watching, and we slide in there, and they're ready to just go to work. They're just ready to deal with whatever has come sliding in on, on that little car. And we get there, and Carson, when as soon as it's done, he looks up at me and goes, That was awesome! <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm bleeding. 
They're, they, they're having to turn the ambulance around right now. I heard the helicopter, was, they, they, it was on its way. They knew that something was wrong. Cutie's waiting at the gate, and, 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 she, and, she, and I'm like, well, she's like, I was like, he loved it. He loved it. I'm cleaning the blood. He loved it. <laughs> Roller coasters are awesome, babe. And, and, and so what was so sad is that that ride was intended to be enjoyed, and somehow in it, he just survived, and the joy didn't come till it was over. And so many times we do that, we just sit there and think, man, if I can just survive life, I know when it's over, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be in the presence of God, all this other mess is going to be dealt with, and it's just going to be amazing. And if I can just bear down, and I can just get through it, then it's going to be okay. When that ride was intended, it was built, it was designed to be enjoyed. It wasn't designed to be locked down and, and hurting someone next to you while you're dealing with your fear. It was designed for you to throw your hands up and to go, you know what? I'm safe. I'm secure. This, I, I know I trust the one that designed this thing, and this is going to be amazing. And I'll go through this, and the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs become sources of joy and not sources of fear and panic. And God has called us. For us that as we trust in him, guess what? Trusting means there's something that might could go wrong. We never say, well, I'm really trusting right now unless there's something that could go wrong. And so this area where man things could maybe get a little sideways, that we should be able to be filled with joy and peace as we're trusting in him. That even though the things don't look like they're going to come together, God says it's going to be all right. And I can kick back and I can be full of joy and peace as I trust in him. So as we move forward in Philippians, we need to, to look at this. And as we look at Philippians chapter 2, this place of joy, this source of joy, it's not simply our relationship with God. We'll see in Philippians chapter 2 that part of our source of joy is our relationship with others. And the title of this sermon is called Bubbles, Not Bubble. Because of these milk bubbles, it's a, it's a picture of community. It's a bunch of individual bubbles that are all together and, and, and create this, this, this foam, create this little overflow thing. But it's not just one big bubble. It's not just about you. It's about the joy that comes in being connected with others. And so being connected with other Christians can jumpstart our joy. When things aren't kind of going the way they should be, man, we begin to connect with other believers and it should be a source of joy for us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and Paul points us right back to our relationship with God. Points us right back to our relationship with God. Everything comes down to loving God and loving others. So here he comes. It starts with a priority. Okay, if you have any Encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit. You see that the spirit is at work. God's, God's doing something here. If any tenderness, this place where you're not hard-hearted and full of unforgiveness and all that. If there's, if there's this tenderness that exists with God and any compassion, place where we can kind of look at others and recognize they're not perfect and they still got some stuff they're dealing with, and life has not been always easy for them either. And we kind of have a different view of things, that God's at work, the Spirit's at work, and people need work. Then all of a sudden, we begin to have a right framework that we can view things through. 
And then he goes on to say, and then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Remember, he's writing not to, not to Philip. He's writing to Philippi. He's writing to an entire city. And he's writing to all the believers in this entire community. And he's giving them coaching collectively. And he says, what God has for you is, is bigger than you. It, it, it's, it's only going to be lived out in community. And you need to, to take that relationship with God and anything you've received from him, let it be expressed in this relationship with one another and being like-minded. Um, I know hardly any of us keep flashlights anymore because all of us have one in our pocket all the time. And so, we, and so we all have a flashlight with us all the time. How amazing is that? That is just awesome. I love that. Anytime I go outside and I go, hey, I've got a flashlight. But used to, you had to like go find a flashlight. And so when we went camping, we'd carry the big flashlights, the big heavy ones with the handle and the little clicky button. And that's the one that had the big old lens on it like this. And you put it under your chin and you, you know, shine it like a searchlight. And then the, 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 the night sky, look, you, see all the, you could see the beam. It was amazing. You try to make the bat signal. You did all sorts of cool stuff. And, and, and so and it had this ginormous, huge battery on the inside of it. It was called a lantern battery. And so, and there's a big old battery, and so you're like, man, that thing's, that thing's just a, this amazing, incredible, big battery. Like, you need to do something serious. You get this big battery. But you know what? That battery was, that battery is not that different. In fact, any, uh, anybody who's ever ripped one of those th batteries open, you would find this. On the inside of that battery is a community of batteries. This thing that looked so big and amazing and powerful on the outside was actually made up of all of these little batteries on the inside. They actually have all these. Most of the time, they don't have the labels on them. Most of them, but you'll see all these batteries. In fact, lots of batteries are a community of batteries. You'll see some of these, these different batteries that you break them on. They look like a double A, and there'll be these layers that look like little watch batteries on the inside of them. A 9-volt battery is actually the little, the little ones you stick to your tongue talk to you the bad habit and never stick it to the to the wall outlet oh, does that work and so and um and so you do get the little the little uh stick there well you break that open and it's got little batteries on the inside of that it's a community of batteries and and so as this one is connected to another then all of a sudden the the, the flow from one flows into the other and amplifies that and is able to do something none of those batteries by themselves could do on their own and so and all of a sudden, there's this community of batteries. As we're called to be light and love to our community, where God doesn't just want to do it through a person. He wants to do it through the body of Christ, and we've got to be connected. And, and the, the things of disunity break those connections. And guess what? That little community of batteries, if they're not interlaced and connected with one another... It's useless. Who cares that they're all inside the container? Who cares that they all show up in the same place? If the connections aren't real and aren't present, there is no power. It doesn't exist. And so we need to be mindful of this. And so quickly, we're going to look here in Philippians chapter 2, that Paul points out some of the joy killers, some of the stuff that robs us of joy in relationships, and some of the joy killers that are found in our own attitudes. Joy killers found in our own attitudes. And the first one has already been hit on, which is disunity. Philippians 2, 2 
says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This unity begins to just, just erode and corrode effectiveness and joy in relationships. As I do premarital counseling and, and, or do marriage counseling, I come back over and over every time we start in Amos 3.3. Two can't walk together unless they agree. It's impossible. Marriage is the longest walk together ever. Till death do us part. That's a pretty long walk. And you cannot do it unless you're in agreement. So I say, guess what? Guess what? The number one thing you need to work towards in that relationship is finding agreement. You've got to work to find agreement, which to do that then requires all those other things, communication and all of those other stuff. But the whole point of it is like, preacher, we communicate plenty. And she thinks I'm a jerk, and I think she's a jerk, and we both know it. Well, you're not. Communication isn't the lack. It's trying to work towards and find agreement. Agreement is the place. And so in everything, in every relationship, disunity just completely destroys and erodes everything. If you go out to one of uh, Texas rivers and you jump in the river and you're just floating along with it, lots of people like to, to float the Frio or float things, you know, and as long as you're going with the current, everything's good. But let's say there's some logs in one of those rivers and you're just, you know, get a little tired of wading in the water and you go and just lean on one of those logs and just float along and all, all's cool. You and that log are going in the same direction. But let's say you were just kind of looking at the Texas beauty and you missed where you wanted to get out on the bank and you went down and now all of a sudden you're coming upstream now whether you're in you know one of the rivers around here which is like this deep and you're like walking back or in one of the deep big rivers and you're swimming back all of a sudden something that was totally great with you was a blessing to you on these logs all of a sudden now it is a water-powered missile headed at you to take you out and all of a sudden it's not something that's wonderful and cozy it's something you're trying to avoid it's something you're trying to dodge and the whole reason is, is because you're not going in the same direction anymore. So many times you begin to, to find this tension in relationships and trying to dodge people in life. It's because you're not going in the same direction anymore. You need to come back to getting on the same page. We've got to have this place of unity. The next one that Paul <clears throat> addresses is this issue of pride. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. It doesn't say others are better than you. It says in your mind, you need to consider others better than yourself. And it doesn't mean you need to consider less of yourself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you need to have a low opinion of yourself. He says you need to have a higher opinion of others. So you need to consider others better than yourself, because so many times we will begin to just want our way, want things our way, and think that these other folks have nothing to offer to us. And then all of a sudden, this place of pride, I know what's up, I know how things go, and we begin to discount other people. Years ago in ministry, when I was the, my first ministry assignment, I was the janitor slash pastor in training with our church, and I was the you have to clean the toilets and do all that fun stuff and did that for three and a half years. I, I've got a bachelor's degree in potty cleaning. And, uh, and so I was, did that for a long time. And I was also the youth pastor. And everybody treated me 
like I was the youth pastor. And so that happened to clean the toilets and whatnot. Well, backtrack um, to the fourth grade, um, and Brandon Clark was not very nice one day out on fourth grade after lunch, and uh, I very wrongly and inappropriately uh, pinched one of the girls on the behind. And uh, her uh, parents had taught her well, and she had the old school metal lunch box. You remember metal lunch boxes? And she had that old school metal lunch box, and she wheeled around, and she hit me in the face, um, which was the right thing to do. She'd just been assaulted. It was terrible. And so uh, she popped me in the face, which was right, and uh, knocked, my, knocked this tooth out. And so this is a fake tooth. So the other day, Pressy asked me to take it out. I'm like, I can't take it out. It's in my head, but it's fake. And, um, and so um, anyway, so fast forward, that was done when I was an, you know, an adolescent and was a temporary thing. Well, as I was cleaning up around, I'd got one of those Astro Pops. Anybody remember those Astro Pops, those little pointy ones that have the three colors, the red and the yellow, and they get real sticky, and you can p- kind of pull them out real long. And anyways, you, um, you don't supposed to bite them because, man, you can't get your teeth back. And so, yeah, literally. And, um, and so I'd had to use both hands on something. I just barely stuck it between my teeth. I was being real conscious. Well, um, anyways, I, I bit down a little too much, and it got stuck. So I popped my bottom teeth loose and went to get the Astro Pop out of my mouth. And when I did, my fake tooth came with it, and it, bam, it came out. And so and then I've got just barely a tooth that existed in that space. And we were newly married and didn't have insurance. I thought it was going to cost a ton of money. And so we went for a couple of weeks um, where Brandon Clark was missing a tooth up front. And um, nothing wrong with missing a tooth up front. Nothing wrong in the world with that. Um, but all of a sudden, um, I experienced something that in my life, um, and I'm so sorry that so many of you have dealt with this l- a lot. Um, but in my life, I had never been like f- visually profiled. And all of a sudden, people that knew me began to treat me different and respond to me different and talk to me slower and like I was unintelligent all of a sudden (laughs) and just respond to me in in a lesser way. And these were church people. I worked in a church, folks. These were good, sweet, wonderful people that there's these subconscious biases began to seep out. And as they're talking to a guy that they had that they had known, and, and I was, you know, I was going to college, I was not unintelligent, and people just began to respond to me differently over that period of time, and I was like, man, what is going on? Why are people acting different towards me? And then realized, I look different. My tooth was gone, and it just, it just subconsciously, it just, it looked different, and all of a sudden, when I got it fixed, everything went back to normal. And so, and it was so sad, but so many times you and I, we make decisions about the people that God has put in our lives. Here was the guy that I had, that had been, I was a guy who'd been put in a community to minister to them. And all of a sudden I began to be pushed out a little bit because of the way I looked. And all of a sudden we we take what God is wanting to do with the people in our lives. And if they don't fit a certain look and if they don't have a certain physical quality, all of a sudden we begin to profile them and and compartmentalize them and put them in places and discount what they can bring to the table. Folks, this is wrong. 
This is so wrong. And our churches have suffered. Our relationships have suffered. The kingdom of God has suffered because we did not meet and, and connect with people as the people that God made them to be, the living spirit of God on the inside of them. Instead, we have this place where we judge on the outside. And, folks, we've got to stop it. We've got to stop it. We have to let the Spirit of God. And, folks, our subconscious biases, we have a hard time controlling them. So the answer to that is letting the Spirit of God take the forefront. Let the Spirit of God begin to rewire the way we see people and interact with people. Oh, my. Where am I? Then the next thing is, the next issue isn't just pride. The next thing is selfishness. Philippians 2.4 says, each of you should look not only after your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So many times as we begin to do that, as we begin to, to, to discount, we, we get in disunity, we have pride, and so we're like, okay, that we're out of unity because I'm right and I want my needs met. Man, all of a sudden, it just it creates this, this havoc this havoc in our lives. And the quickest way to jumpstart joy is to get you in line with Jesus. To get you in line with Jesus. We see the, the shirts all the time that says, you people need Jesus. Well, you people do need Jesus. But the shirt probably ought to say, I, is, I need Jesus. I'm the one that needs it. You need to get you in line. It's so easy to look and see how everybody else needs to be corrected. Everybody else needs to, be, to have some adjustments. But you need to get you in line with Jesus. I've had two wrecks as an adult. Both of them involved gooseneck trailers. And my, the vehicle I was driving did not have a wreck. The trailer had a wreck. And because the gooseneck does not track where the truck goes. You've got to swing a little wider. You've got to make a little more room because it does not track with the other. If we will track with what Jesus is doing, we're not going to have these wrecks and these collisions over here. We begin to get off on our own, and that's where the pain and the damage is. We begin to track with Jesus, and I'll tell you, man, we'll be able to navigate what God has us to navigate. And in that, you've got to be willing to serve somebody. You've got to be willing to serve. Philippians 2, 7 says, and, and talking about Jesus, and he made himself nothing, taking very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Did I skip something? I did. I did. The quickest way to jump start is to get you in line with it. I forgot to read Philippians. Philippians 2, 5, and 6 says, but your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now to verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being made in human likeness. Jesus didn't come to, to be able to have parades and be honored. He, he came to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And you and I, when we get in line with that spirit, with that mentality, that's when the disunity, that's when the pride, that's when the selfishness gets put aside. We look down in Philippians 2 a little deeper. We see Paul re uh, reference Timothy. He says, I have no one else like Timothy who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Paul rolled with some pretty awesome guys. But Timothy was the only one that he considered that took a genuine interest in their welfare. 
Next thing we've got to see that you've got to live for the good of others. Verse 8, we see that Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then we go down a little deeper into chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, and, and as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run, <clears throat> run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service Coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This poured out like a drink offering is a pretty metaphor for the fact that he's probably going to die through this deal. He's like, even if my life is just poured out and it is just, it's just done because of ministry for you guys, you know what? Then I, I rejoice in that. I rejoice. Jesus was willing to lay down his life. Paul was willing to lay down his life. We look on a little further. He celebrates another guy in verse 29. Welcome Epaphroditus in the Lord and with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. So here we celebrate celebrate Jesus who was willing to lay down his life. We see Paul is willing to do his. Timothy is, was willing to serve and to look after other people's needs. Epaphroditus was willing to, to put his life on the line. This is what love in Christ is about. It's not about us, us, us. It's about serving others, serving others. In fact, Jesus says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life. For his friends. He laid down his life for his friends. That is what real life in Christ is all about. So, folks, our bottom line today is that joy is amplified in community. It's amplified in community. That's where it exists. That's where the life is. And that's why the enemy wants to come in and wreck our relationships and wreck all that stuff because it, it robs us of what God has for us. And we have to then guard them and watch out for them. See, the truth is that so many times we can be so fearful of being empty that we're willing, unwilling to pour out. We're so fearful that we'll end up the empty ones that we're unwilling to pour out. But the Holy Spirit is the one that begins to bubble this up in us. And it begins to overflow. And here's the beautiful thing. That as long as the Holy Spirit has us in the overflow, we're never empty. Others are getting the benefit. It's coming out. Others are getting the benefit. But we're never empty. We're never empty. We can courageously begin to serve others, courageously begin to, to be vulnerable, courageously begin to live a different kind of life because the Holy Spirit's at work in us, bringing life to us. We'll never be empty in this. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.